Good afternoon, everyone. Does it pay to obey God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Probably most of you have in one fashion or another. But whether you have or not, others have. Some who have been members of the Church of God at one time or another have come to the conclusion that no, it doesn't pay to obey God. Some arrived at that conclusion because of some reversal or trial in life. And I'm speaking from personal knowledge of people I've known, or at the very least known of. In one particular case, it was injury and disability that led to the conclusion that it does not pay to obey God. Some have forsaken the faith because the allure of the world, being friends with the world, being accepted in the social circles they decided to be a part of was much more attractive than being considered an, out, an outsider or odd because of the obligation to obey God's laws. One man that I met at a public Bible lecture I gave years ago was clearly convicted about the Sabbath but giving up his job to obey God was too much of a sacrifice. Others have simply wanted to do their own thing, go their own way, and really not interested in obeying God. Sometimes even young people growing up in the church have expressed the view that if you follow God, your life will be filled with misery, perhaps being tortured or beaten because of your faith. For them, following God means rejection, suffering, and pain. Some have thought to be a part of the true church of God that is actually obeying God likely means giving up marriage and a normal family life, if there is such a thing as a normal family life in today's world. Complaints have been leveled against the church, and I'm not speaking just of this church organization, but others that have existed and do still exist, representative of the true church of God, that all that was being preached is gloom and doom, as the words were expressed to me by one person. That all that was preached by the church is gloom and doom and nothing. there's nothing positive, nothing encouraging. The emphasis on the kingdom of God and the imminent coming of Christ has been seen by some as negating the need to plan for a career, a family, or for sound financial planning. I will grant that one huge mistake the leaders among the church of God made, especially in the latter part of the 20th century and at other times as well down through history, is attempting to set a date for the coming of Christ. And some few members that I know of in the past based on such teachings decided to forego getting an education or planning for a career or even decided not to have children when they might have. On the other hand, over the years the church has published a number of articles on dating and marriage obviously with the prospect in mind that 
young people who read those articles might uh, be interested in marriage and might actually get married. And also on financial planning. I know because I wrote some of those articles myself and the ones I wrote were not the only ones that have appeared in church publications. Moreover, I've known literally hundreds if not thousands of people over the years who chose to follow Christ, who repented of their sins and sought to obey God, who nevertheless lived what one might call a fairly normal life. They had careers. They did manage to live fairly prosperous lives, sometimes quite prosperous. They had marriages and children. And only a handful that I know of ever suffered actual physical attack and injury because of their faith. There were, have been a few, but relatively speaking, you might say a handful in this, during my lifetime at least, that I'm aware of. And I believe that on the whole, their lives were much happier and much more fulfilling because they were, in fact, seeking to obey God than they would have been otherwise. Because I witnessed how they lived their lives, the expression of joy in their lives, the peace that most of them experienced, relatively speaking. We might ask, does the church, and more importantly, does the Bible, proclaim only a message of gloom and doom? exclusive of anything positive or encouraging. You might ponder that question for a moment. What does the Bible say about the costs and rewards of obedience to God? That's what I want to discuss in today's sermon. People generally don't like to hear bad news. In fact, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who likes to hear bad news at least not when it concerns them personally. Most people don't particularly like to be corrected or told they are wrong or told that they need to repent. Based on those criteria, there's a lot not to like in the Bible from the standpoint of the average person. Because a great deal of the Bible is devoted to what some might call bad news. That is, warnings about the consequences of sin and pleadings and warnings to repent, what you might call correction, and what might some even call gloom and doom. Generally speaking, people would rather hear innocuous messages about how Jesus loves them, regardless of who they are or what kind of life they are living, and that he will accept you just as you are, as an old hymn goes. The fact is, Jesus does lo love every single human being. And actually, that's why the Bible has warnings and pleadings to repent. Because God does love humanity and God does not want to see a world full of suffering and evil. And suffering and evil are the fruits of sin or lawlessness, or disobedience to God's commandments. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 30 and verse 1, 
Woe to the rebellious sons, says Yahweh, who take counsel but not of me, and who make a league but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Then in verse 9 it goes on to say, in verse 9 of Isaiah 30, For it is a rebellious people, lying sons, sons who will not hear the law of Yahweh, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. That's what God said the people of Israel wanted to hear. Smooth things and wise. Many ministers today are preaching the things most people want to hear. They preach smooth things, things that don't make people uncomfortable, that don't ruffle their feathers, and things that are in fact often false. Some are preaching what is often called the prosperity gospel. In essence, they tell people that if they profess faith in Christ and claim blessings, as they often put it, claim blessings that they believe God has promised and donate money to the church or to a particular preacher, that everything in life will go smoothly for them. Little is said about actual repentance or faithful obedience to God's Word. Many ministers suggest in various ways that obedience to God's Word is not really expected or required of Christians. But the Bible tells us clearly that despite our religious posturing, calamity will befall our nations and the whole world unless we repent of breaking God's laws first. Jeremiah 6 and verse 19. Jeremiah 6 and verse 19. It says, Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. In Jeremiah 11 and verse 10. Jeremiah 11 and verse 10. It says, They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them which they shall not be able to escape and though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Jeremiah 26 and verse 2, beginning with verse 2, it says, Jeremiah 26 and verse 2, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way. In other words, repent. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I pr purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. Notice God told Jeremiah to warn the people with the possibility in mind that they might re repent and avert the calamity. 
that would otherwise come upon them. Going on to verse 4, it says, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, to walk in my law which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Now Shiloh was where the ark was before it was taken by the Philistines and God forsook the place. Does the Bible suggest that for the faithful there may be suffering and affliction? Could in fact seeking to obey God cause you possibly to be persecuted? Could that happen? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is indeed yes. There's no getting around it. Obeying God in Satan's world requires sacrifice. And it may entail suffering. Christians must make sacrifices for the sake of God's kingdom. And sometimes that may include persecution and suffering of one kind or another. Notice over in Matthew chapter 7, or, yeah, Matthew 7 and verse 13. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Many who go by in by it. In other words, most people are on the path that's wide and broad. He went on to say in verse 14, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus said it's difficult to be a Christian. It's a difficult way to go. Jesus said to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion in John 16, verse 33, John 16, verse 33, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice that it's possible for us to have peace in Christ and yet at the same time have tribulation. He warned them that they would suffer tribulation. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The possibility that we may have to suffer for the sake of Christ should not be something that causes undue worry and concern. There's no, no purpose to be served, no useful purpose, no advantage to be gained by sitting around fretting and stewing and worrying about the possibility of suffering or persecution. But we need to be aware that it may come someday. We need to be mentally prepared for it if it does. Christ suffered for us and if necessary, we ought to be willing 
to suffer for Him and not fear or faint. We might also realize that suffering is certainly not limited to Christians. It is not limited to Christians. In fact, most people in the world, if not everyone, is going to go through some trial of one sort or another sooner or later, and in some cases very severe trials. And if you've read much of history, you ought to know this. For example, about 70 million people lost their lives as a result of World War II. Many millions more lost their homes. All their possessions were, were displaced. They went hungry. They lost loved ones. Had their world turned upside down. And that's just the suffering endured by hundreds of millions of people in just one of mankind's wars. Jesus warned in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 7, Matthew 24 and verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you, speaking to his disciples, up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now notice that Jesus warned of various sorrows such as wars and famines and disease epidemics and so forth and tribulation to come upon the earth. And it is not just his disciples who are to be afflicted by those things. Many more people will be affected. In fact, ultimately, when these, these, these prophecies are fully, uh, fully come to pass, everyone who dwells on the earth will be affected in some way or another. However, however, there is a difference. There's a very important difference that we need to take note of. The difference is that those suffering afflictions for the sake of Jesus Christ have a great advantage over others. In fact, they have several advantages over others that makes a huge difference. Because they have a purpose, a meaningful purpose, a supreme purpose. They have a cause to believe in. They have Jesus Christ to strengthen and comfort them, even in the midst of persecution or other suffering. And they have a great reward coming. A great reward coming partly as a result of their suffering. These are very important differences. 
between the kind of suffering that's common to mankind and the suffering and afflictions that Christians must endure. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. <clears throat> the cross is used here where he said you must take up your cross and follow me is used as a symbol of suffering <clears throat> of sacrifice Jesus is saying if we want to follow Christ we must deny ourselves be willing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God but if we are willing to give up our very lives for the sake of Christ we will ultimately gain life and we will be rewarded. The reward of faithfulness includes a place of glory in the kingdom of God for eternity. In Romans 8 verse 15, Romans 8 verse 15 we read, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship, as it could be translated, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. If we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice the sufferings are so minor relative to the reward that they're not worthy to be compared. Now when one is suffering, you may not think it's a minor. In fact, very likely is certainly not going to think it's a minor. But this is what God's Word says. Few people whose names are recorded in the Bible experienced greater suffering for Christ's sake than Paul. But Paul had in mind a goal beyond his sufferings. He had in mind a goal beyond his sufferings. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, beginning of verse 6, he wrote, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began 
but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished, or better translated, who abolishes death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against or until that day. So, Paul understood the purpose that God had in mind for him. And he understood how his sufferings were fitting into the overall picture. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Philippians 3 and verse 7, Paul wrote, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul sacrificed virtually everything to follow Christ. It goes on to say in verse 9, Be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal of Paul was serving Christ and attaining the resurrection. And he suffered for that purpose. <clears throat> but he had that purpose in mind. And it sustained him and encouraged him. Paul was comforted in his suffering through his knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we look to Christ, we can be comforted as well. The world, you know, people, uh, unconverted people who are lacking in a saving relationship with God do not have that comfort available to them, at least not yet. They will later on, but not now. But in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. God comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and he's speaking of himself and his companions in the ministry primarily here, but as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your, speaking to the members, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. In times of suffering and affliction, we're advised to cast our cares upon God. Not, not to get mad at God or become bitter at God, but to go to God in humility and seek His help to endure and prevail. First Peter five and verse six. First Peter five and verse six it says, "Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion." seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So, we can go to God when we're suffering and we ought to go to God for sustenance and strength and the help we need to endure whatever we have to suffer. Any suffering that we must endure will be followed if we are faithful by exceeding great joy. Exceeding great joy. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Notice what he says. He says, rejoice 
to the extent you, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Notice that it says, if we are reproached for the name of Christ, it is to be counted a blessing. And in our suffering, we are to commit our lives to God as a faithful Creator. There's always a purpose to any suffering that we must endure. We must not lose heart nor turn away from the faith, but we must endure to the end and gain salvation. In Hebrews 10 and verse 32, Hebrews 10 and verse 32, it says, Recall the former days in which after you were eliminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle by both reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. In uh, Palestine, in Judea, as the church had become established, there arose great persecution. And many of the brethren there had to escape for their lives. Some were killed. And many left all their positions to, possessions to flee. And they were scorned and hated by their brethren in the world. And <clears throat> so it says... They became companions of those who were so treated for you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, 
it ought to be obvious that obeying God, making sacrifices for the sake of God's kingdom, requires faith. It requires faith. Someone who lacks faith, someone who does not believe God's word, someone who does not trust God to keep his word, is not going to be willing to make those sacrifices. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God promises to reward those who diligently seek Him. So you might ask yourself, do you desire something better than what the world has to offer? You can look around and See what the world has to offer. Do you desire something better? Do you want more out of life than what the world has to offer? If you do, you must seek it in faith. There's no other way to attain it other than seeking it in faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 13, Hebrews 11 and verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, speaking of the, the, uh, some of the righteous people of old. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. No, they didn't really fit into the society as others did. They were the oddballs, so to speak. Not that they were weird or anything, but they were, were not uh, fully a part of that society. It says, They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You know, they could have gone back. But now they desire better. That is a heavenly country. Or you might say a heavenly reward. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for He has prepared a city for them. They desired something better and they sought it in faith. Although obeying God may sometimes entail persecution and suffering, the Bible tells us that there are all kinds of benefits to be reaped as a result of obeying God's laws. And that's what we all too often overlook is the rewards of obedience. We read in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 beginning with verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are chaff, or like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God told Israel, the physical nation of Israel, of the blessings that He would grant them if they obeyed His laws. He said in Deuteronomy 21, or 28, beginning with verse 1, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, but to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today. So He says, this is what's going to happen if you obey My commandments that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. This was, a, this was a promise to the physical nation of Israel for obedience to His laws. And in principle, it applies to us as well. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed you shall be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself just as He has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant, grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you His good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations. You shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and uh, commandments, uh, rather, of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now, 
down through history, Israel rarely obeyed God for any, any uh, appreciable length of time. And has never really fully obeyed God in the modern age, the peoples of Israel, the Israelitish nations. And yet, <clears throat> because of Abraham's obedience, not our obedience as a people, but Abraham's obedience, most of these blessings in the modern age have been poured out on the peoples descended from the tribes of Israel, especially Ephraim and Manasseh. But those blessings are steadily being withdrawn because we are a disobedient people and in this same chapter he warns of the consequences of disobedience which we won't go into right now but but these are the things that obedience produces now we do not earn our salvation there's no way that we can earn our salvation nevertheless obedience is required of us if we are to be saved the ultimate blessing that follows obedience is a place in the kingdom of God for eternity. As we read in Revelation 22 and verse 14. Revelation 22 and verse 14, Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city that is the New Jerusalem. On the other hand, we read this in Proverbs 24 and verse 19. Proverbs 24 and verse 19, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man the lamp of the wicked will be put out. You might ask, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Suffering in the world is traced largely to the fact that mankind has not and does not obey God. Most of the suffering in the world would not occur if God's word were being obeyed. We could go through some of the statistics, and we have gone through some of them in times past, the broken homes, the fatherless children, the diseases, the abortions, and other murders, the wars, and on and on. But I think you get the general idea. These things are not a result of obedience to God, they're a result of disobedience to God's laws. So, each of us, if we're pondering this question, does it pay off to obey God, needs to ask himself or herself, am I going to be part of the problem or part of the solution? Hiding one's head in the sand deliberately deciding you're going to ignore God's laws and live in rebellion is not likely to make your life happier 
even in the short term, and certainly not in the long run. Because in the long run, obedience to God does pay off. Someday, mankind will finally learn that it does, in fact, pay to obey God. As for us, if we have not learned that lesson yet, we ought to.